0: Well, good morning, everybody, and congratulations! Good morning. Good morning. Wonderful news. Um, we'll look at this particular uh, topic during the two hours, just because it it needs to be given at least that amount that amount of time. Um, I'm really glad that our brother shared this morning that he had been uh, given an opportunity to respond a very important question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? I mean, if that's not the ultimate question, I don't know what is. And what a wonderful opportunity that is afforded to our brother to be able to share the reason why Jesus died on that cross. And I think the fact that he shared that this morning is no coincidence based on what I wanted to share today, because what I want to share today is the response to the question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, let's start by saying that we're probably safe to say that many words don't mean what they used to mean. So we often need to define the things that we say so that they're properly understood within the biblical context. Many pseudo-Christian cults use the same vocabulary we use, but they define the words very differently than we do or the the way the Scripture does. You recall that in uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, the Philippian jailer uh, fell down before the Apostle Paul and cried, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Very similar question to what was asked in regards to why Jesus died on the cross. Clearly, he knew that something was radically wrong. And that he needed a radical solution. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now when the Bible says that people need to be saved, it is in essence saying or communicating the message that they are lost. Right? If not, why even use the term saved? Didn't the Lord himself say that I have come to seek and save what? The lost. It is vital That people understand that they are eternally lost without Jesus Christ. And that they desperately need to be what? Saved. That was what was in the mind of the Philippian jailer. What must I do? So I want to talk about the reality of sin and our need for salvation. So we're going to answer some of those questions. Obviously, this is one place where the Bible's teaching in the world's view part ways. Because the prevailing view today is that sin isn't that sinful. Right? I mean, look at the issues that we hear about all day long, every day, especially right now. Sin is commonplace. Not only tolerated, accepted. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So, first of all, there's four points that I want to make. We're only going to look at one during this hour. We'll look at the remaining three. We're going to answer the question why before we get to the point where we get to the fact that he did. He did die, we know that. He rose again. But why? So let's get to the why before we get to the fact that he did. So let's consider first the concept of sin. One observer said that contemporary America has defined deviancy downward. Let's paraphrase that. Our culture has made sin sin seem acceptable. That things that used to be considered deviant today are either almost normal or normal. That's what we mean when we say that, when we define sin as a a, a deviancy downward. The problem is that regardless of how we define things, regardless of what we say about sin, God hasn't changed his mind about sin. Has he? That's right. For those who don't want God. He does not define sin downward. His concept of sin is the same today as it was in eternity past when Lucifer and one third of the angelic host rebelled against God. Sin is anything that fails to conform to the holy and perfect character of God. You recall in Leviticus 19.2, God said to Moses, You shall be holy. Why? Why should you be holy? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Defined deviance downward the character of God would have to change in order for that to be true has the character and holiness of God changed at all no therefore his definition of sin remains constant sin becomes sin when it's measured against the standard of God You recall in uh, Habakkuk 3.16 when the prophet Habakkuk encountered God. Listen to what he said. My inward parts trembled. At the sound of God, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I trembled. You recall that the prophet Isaiah had a very similar experience when he came before the presence of God in his temple. What did he say? Woe to me. Why? Because God is holy. He's pure. His character is perfect. And anything not measuring up to that is sin. One reason we don't have a view or a high view of sin today is because we have a low view of God. We no longer experience God as Habakkuk or Isaiah did. We tend to make God a God of our own, after our own image. So when we change God, our view of sin changes along with it. I don't argue that many people out there who are not Christians deny that there's a possibility of an existence of a God. But it is a God who tolerates anything. They have such a low view of God that they no longer have a high view of sin. But John wrote, in 1 John 1, 5, that God is light. And in him there is what? No darkness. In fact, in that same epistle, in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, he gives us a formal definition of sin. Listen to what he says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Listen, sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. That's why when Habakkuk experienced Almighty God, his lips quivered. Isaiah had to say, woe is me, because God is the standard. And they failed to measure up. Now, these verses in 1 John chapter uh, 3, verse uh, 4 and 5, where he gives us a formal definition of sin, these verses not only characterize sin as a rebellion against God by by the breaking of His law, they also teach us that sin is anything in creation that is contrary to the nature of the Creator. It is not about us. Sin... And we know this from personal experience. Sin makes us self-centered, self-dependent, as opposed to God-centered and God-dependent. In fact, if you want to know when you're getting deeper into sin, well, the deeper you get into independence, the idea that you can run your own life independent of God, the more sinful you have become. Why? Why? Because you are trying to function independently of the creator. Therefore, we can say that sin is the failure to reflect God's holy character and obey his righteous laws. And we're all familiar with what Paul said in Romans 3.23. All have sinned. We have all fallen short. Not a single one of us measures up. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, we're starting to def- to answer the question, aren't we? We may come off looking pretty good when we compare ourselves to other people. But the moment we look at God, the standard, we realize we fall short. And that's the problem with using the wrong standard of measurement. Listen, you might be a nicer guy than the neighbor down the street. But when God is the standard, you're not that nice. All of us have sinned. Now, where does sin find its roots? Well, we're going to go back a little bit into the Old Testament to find the answer to that question. The question itself takes us all the way back to some point in eternity past, before the creation of the world, when the angel Lucifer decided he was tired of being less than God. Scripture tells us that he was a beautiful being. The highest ranking of all of God's angels. Yet he led a third of the angelic host in rebellion. A rebellion, listen to me, no different than it is today for humans, that it it has always been for humans, designed to topple God from his throne. Because if God is not God. Now, Lucifer's, we're not going to look at this in, in much detail because we just don't have time. But Lucifer's rebellion is described in Ezekiel 28, particularly verses 11 through 19. And Isaiah 14, particularly verses 12 through 14. There we learn that God created him with stunning beauty. And that his heart was welled up with, and here's the key word, pride. The root, pride. Lucifer decided to uh, to assert his independence by making his famous I will statements in Isaiah 14. I do want to look at those. Isaiah 14, and I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Listen to what it says. You said in your heart, I will, listen, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Listen. I will set my throne On high, I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You know what? Every time man denies the existence of God and his place, rightful place, he makes those I will statements. Hmm? We made them at some point, but by the grace of God will. He did this in opposition of God or to God, but he was clearly defeated and judged, and thus he became now, as we know him, Satan, the great deceiver and the accuser of the brethren. Now Satan's, why do we go all the way back to Ezekiel and Isaiah when we're talking about the root of sin? Because Satan's rebellion shows that the root of sin is pride. The creature thinking more highly of himself than he ought to. When we become self-centered and self-dependent, we're thinking more highly of ourselves. only pride can make any creature claim equality with god as lucifer did in fact paul warned of this when he cautioned timothy not to appoint a new believer to leadership in the church notice what notice the advice he gives to timothy regarding making a young convert or recent convert Placing him into a position of leadership. Or he may become conceited. Pride, right? He may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Clear reference to the I will statements of Satan or Lucifer. Pride. And we all have it. I mean, it comes out in different ways, but it's certainly there. It's interesting that the Bible says that Satan was beautiful and had great musical ability. You know at one time Lucifer led the angels in worshiping God. In fact Satan is called in Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen an anointed guardian cherub. But he forgot who he was. And the root of sin sprang up in him. Now you recall, back in Genesis chapter 2, God had commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What would happen if they ate of that tree? They would die. It says, in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. the question that often comes is why did God put the forbidden tree in the garden in the first place why did he precisely so that we might be reminded that we ought not to think of ourselves any higher than we should the tree was there to remind us of our creatureliness to remind us of the distinction between creature and creator. To remind us that we can't do everything we want whenever we want. We are limited and we have an obligation to be faithful and loyal to our Creator. That's why the tree was placed in the midst of the garden. Now you remember that when Satan approached Eve... In the form of a certain, he focused on that one prohibition. Now, it's interesting that the tree, we don't know how many trees the garden had, could have had hundreds or thousands. There was simply that one tree that they were not supposed to eat of. They They had dominion over the rest of the garden. He hones in, Satan hones in on the one prohibition. Not on everything else God has given us gracefully to enjoy, but on the one prohibition. And he distorts the very word of God in order to deceive. When Satan approached Eve in the form of a serpent, he focused on that one prohibition God had made to teach Adam and Eve that they were not their own gods. That's what the tree was there for, to remind them of who they were. Satan had tried to make himself equal with God and had failed. Now he's using the same tactic. It says in Genesis 3.11 that he is crafty. So he doesn't call God an outright liar. Instead, he questions God's goodness in putting the tree off limits for Adam and Eve. And the suggestion is this. God is being selfish in keeping his deity to himself. Right? Right? Because the moment you eat of that tree, what happens? You become like God. And God wants to keep that to himself. But if you eat. Now, when Adam and Eve ate and sinned, uh, something very important happened. Now, we're getting to the point of why. His sin was imputed or charged to the entire human race. Thus, we have become guilty before God. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men when they (laughs) sinned sin was imputed to my account I am now guilty and must make payment for my sin why did Jesus die on the cross? because I'm guilty I'm guilty of violating the holiness and the character of God of lawlessness. How we became guilty is a matter of debate among conservative Christians, whether you hold to the realistic position or to the representative position. It's not an essential of the faith, but it is a differing position. So if we argue from the Federalist or, or, or the uh, position, we say that Adam was the representative of the human race. And when Adam sinned, he sinned not only for himself, but his sin was charged to all of us by imputation. Not unlike the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. now the, the whole issue of representation is 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 a is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, a doctrine that we all understand fairly well because we see that working daily in our lives we see that for example in the form of government we have we elect representatives who go before congress and make or go to washington to make decisions on our behalf we don't always agree with the decisions they make in fact we may stand Vehemently opposed, but we still all have to deal with the consequences, good or bad, of the decisions, the laws that are passed by the representatives that we placed there. And the same thing with the president of the United States. A similar, an example that we can certainly relate to today: If the president of the United States decides to attack a terrorist group somewhere in the world, all Americans have become targets of retaliation. Why? Because he is the representative of the nation, and when he makes a decision of that kind, it, you know, it's, 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 it's something that has an effect on every single uh, 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 citizen of this country. Something like that can be thought of as we think of uh, Adam being the representative of the human race, and when he sins, his sins are imputed, the consequences of his sins are imputed to the entire human race. David said in Psalm fifty one five, in my in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, Adam and Eve passed on their spiritual genes to their children. We were born alienated from God. Why? Because to us was passed along those spiritual genes. In closing, let me just say, as your mother and your father passed something else to you other than just the physical uh, attributes that you have, they passed on to you the sinful nature. Thus Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David talks about the fact that he has a sinful nature from the moment of conception. That's passed on to every single one of us. Therefore, we are guilty. We are charged with that sin. So we're getting to the answer to the question as to why. The reality is that when they passed on that human nature or that capacity and bent to rebel against God, it was only a time, it was only a matter of knowledge and time before we would live out that sinful nature. Isn't it interesting that when we have children, you don't teach them, you don't have to teach them the bad stuff. It comes naturally. Why? Because they're sinners. Instead, we have to teach them the values, the principles, the truth of God's word. Sin is imputed or charged to the human race and is inherited through conception. So that addresses the conception of sin. None of us have measured up. All of us have failed to measure up to the standard, which is God. And because we are guilty of sin, because sin has been charged to our account payment must be made so we start getting to that additional points of answering that question all right let's go ahead and close